White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany. Glenn Jacobs goes from WWE to GOP. And Earlene Mandrell joins us. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Filbury. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you and welcome everybody. We are very happy that you have joined us for our show. I uh, start out with a little bit of unfortunate news for uh, the weekend. Uh, we've learned that uh, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away at the age of 87 on Friday afternoon. Uh, no matter what your politics are, where you are on the political spectrum, you've got to have a lot of admiration and respect for Justice Ginsburg. She was a person of deep conviction. Uh, I might not have always agreed with maybe her rulings, but she was a genuinely thoughtful person who had to come up the hard way as a young female attorney when it just wasn't easy to do it. And to imagine that she one day would sit on the Supreme Court couldn't have been even dreamed at the time when she started her law career. I, I want to say that one of the most powerful things about her is that her best friend on the court was Judge Antonin Scalia, which might surprise some people because they were as polar opposite as two people could be. But they were friends. And it reminds us that when people want to be civil, they can and they should. Our prayers for the family of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And uh, I hope you'll remember them in your prayers this weekend. Hey, over the past few weeks, I have told you about my new book written by Steve Fiesel and me called Three C's That Made America Great. Christianity, Capitalism, and the Constitution. Now, these are the three pillars on which our nation was founded and upon which it stands. Remove any of the three, and it's likely we collapse. I've spoken in previous weeks about the Judeo-Christian worldview that really was the framework of our laws and the principle of free enterprise and capitalism that honored work and allowed individuals to own property and to live in economic liberty uh, as to their occupations, their priorities of spending, and the ability to take entrepreneurial risk in order to obtain the rewards of hard work and wise financial decisions. But there is another critical part of what makes us great, and that's the incredibly unique document that broadly defines our laws and our rights. Of course, I'm talking about the U.S. Constitution. And it is a good time to be discussing the Constitution as we just observed Constitution Day on Thursday. Now, the Constitution is not divinely inspired in the manner of the Bible, which I honestly believe to be God-breathed, inerrant, and infallible. But our Constitution surely had the blessing and anointing of God in its sheer brilliance as a founding document of our government. For one thing, a stunningly powerful part of the genius of our Constitution is that it can be changed. Our founding fathers recognized their imperfections, and they didn't claim to have created a perfect union, but rather a government striving toward a more perfect union. 
They empowered future generations to expand and codify into law liberties that maybe weren't foreseen in 1789, but they made it so that it wouldn't be easy to amend the Constitution because they never wanted that to be something done in a time of emotion or due to the passion of something current, but maybe not consistent with who we are as a nation. But has it ever occurred to you that the entirety of our Constitution, and especially the first 10 amendments known as the Bill of Rights, in not one instance empowers government and restricts the liberty of citizens. No, in every case, the power is considered inherent with the people, not the politicians. The purpose of the Bill of Rights was to explicitly enumerate the rights that were absolutely the property of the people, and then to make clear that the government was limited in its power. Let that sink deep within you. Because what made America great was a document that restricted the government and empowered the citizen. The Constitution does not give you a set of do's and don'ts. It tells the government what it cannot do. It cannot keep you from practicing religion as you see fit. And despite what the governors of California, Michigan, Virginia, or New York say, they can't restrict you from meeting, worshiping, or even singing. Now, the government can't restrict the freedom of your speech, even if what you say is offensive or even outrageous. The government can't prohibit you from owning weapons of self-defense to protect yourself or your family or your property. The government can't take away your private property unless they need it for a public purpose, and then they got to pay you for it. The government can't send police into your home just to look around without probable cause, because they got to have a search warrant signed by a judge and follow due process. And the government can't deprive you of life or liberty without due process. Which, by the way, that ought to stop abortion in its tracks if the politicians had the courage to believe in the personhood of every individual. And the government has to leave decisions to the state government unless that is a topic that is expressly written into the Constitution. And that ought to end a lot of what Washington does because the Constitution simply doesn't give Congress that much power. It actually gives it to you. I, I hope you'll get a copy of my book, Three C's That Made America Great, Christianity, Capitalism, and the Constitution. And I promise that Steve Fiesel and I document everything. It is not based on unnamed sources. Nope. This book will inform you, empower you, and it will encourage you. Of course, you can get it at HuckabeeBooks.com, bookstores, or Amazon, but you don't have to purchase your freedom, just the book, because your freedom's already been provided. And the title deed to your freedom is in this extraordinary document called the Constitution. By the way, I'm sure that a lot of judges and congressmen haven't even read the thing, but that's no excuse for you. You might just find out that you really do love America after all. Read it. This week, President Trump welcomed the Middle East leaders to the White House to sign a landmark peace agreement between two Arab nations and Israel. But you probably didn't hear about it from the liberal media. Earlier today, I spoke to White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany about this historic success, the business of fake news, and their relentless campaign against the president. 
Kaylee, this week was significant in that the president uh, announced yet a second major Middle East peace break breakthrough. But if, if I had been watching the mainstream media, I might have missed that because they seemed to ignore the significance of this. It's incredible. Look, they uh, distorted the president's comments um, on masks and spent the entire press briefing asking about that. And meanwhile, just to put this into perspective, it took 26 years to get from uh, the second Middle East peace deal under a prior administration, 26 years uh, to get to this third one, and then 29 days to get to a fourth one. So in 29 days, you have historic Middle East peace deals, a Serbia-Kosovo Serbia uh, peace deal on the economic front, and complete ignorance uh, and, and just dereliction of duty and malpractice by the press corps and not asking about it. Now, the president is been nominated twice, not once, but twice for Nobel Peace Prize. I I'm guessing there's That's right. a pretty good feeling in the White House about the recognition that the president is getting maybe outside the country, even if not getting it inside. Yeah, that's right. I mean, two Nobel Peace Prize nominations, as you noted, and it's really breathtaking to watch. Of course, President Obama got that Nobel Peace Prize without ever having done anything a few months into office. Now President Trump has two nominations. And what do you have from the media? Right after he gets these two nominations, you have the leftist liberal propagandist Atlantic uh, trash of a magazine saying now it's time to eliminate the Nobel Peace Prize. So as soon as President Trump uh, walks into that territory, that's the response from the media. Uh, the vice president, former vice president Joe Biden, made a comment that has been rather controversial. He said that had the president done his job, that all of the people who have died from COVID, and he emphasized all of them, would have lived. And he said, follow the data. And even the Washington Post, who cannot stand President Trump and is normally defending Joe Biden, even they called out Joe Biden for having made such an outrageous statement. Yeah, that's just an outlandish lie. When you look around the world, uh, this novel pathogen that was sent by China, uh, brought into our country, devastated Europe, uh, the United States, um, countries around the world affected by this, it just shows that's simply not true. And when you look at the two metrics that I think are most representative of how we've done, that's the excess mortality rate. It's how much overall uh, excess death was there this year as compared to a typical year. We outperform Europe vastly when you look at case fatality, uh, which takes into account our therapeutics. If you get COVID, how likely are you to survive it? We are beating Europe. And it's because of this president, his therapeutics, um, breaking down bureaucratic barriers and red tape. Um, and if a Democrat had been in office, I guarantee you it would have looked a lot different. Um, and just take it from Joe Biden's former advisor, who said it's a mere fortuity that the swine flu wasn't a mass casualty event of our time. Uh, I want to borrow a little from your Harvard Law degree that you hold, and that is that uh, Attorney General Bill Barr has uh, recently talked about charging Antifa terrorists uh, with sedition. Let's talk about the impact of that. Is that a realistic proposal? And if it were to happen, what does that mean for enforcing laws against rioting and looting and the kind of civil disruptions that we've seen? 
Yeah, so the deputy attorney general came out and spoke about this, and this is the media whipping everyone up into a frenzy. Uh, the sedition statute is very, uh, there's a lot of components to it, and part of those components are um, destroying federal property is one of the charges in there. I think you would look no further than Portland mm. uh, to see that there are rioters who have done that, and really across the country. So there are elements of that statute that certainly uh, could apply here. Uh, but the bottom line is this. Look, you had a young man, a Trump supporter, who was killed in Portland by a man who said, I'm 100% Antifa and who was allegedly lying in wait to kill this man. Uh, and this is something that has not been reported enough. That Antifa individual had been arrested previously in a riot in July, but was let out back on the streets, and now you have a dead American because of it. We will not allow Antifa lawlessness. That's why the president has said, ask for my help. You have to request it, but the federal government's ready and prepared to help. A lot of our audience uh, care deeply, not just about Israel, which is a big topic we've discussed, but also uh, issues like the sanctity of human life. These candidates are dramatically different in terms of their uh, view on whether abortion ought to be allowed and whether it's a good thing. The president has defunded Planned Parenthood. He's taken bold steps uh, to try to protect human life at every step. How big an issue do you think this is in the contrast between President Trump and Joe Biden? And what is, what's Joe Biden's position? Yeah, the contrast cannot be more stark. When you look back at 2016, um, and President Trump on that debate stage really calling out Democrats and saying, you know, this is a party that supports abortion until birth. How cruel and heinous is that concept? It's one that's deeply moving to me, one that's deeply moving to, you know, average American voters that say that this is basic common sense, that we should protect life, um, especially in the late stages um, as we look at abortion until birth. And this president's protected life on all fronts, pointed justices to, we'll have nearly 300 judges by the end of the year. Um, and it's just too crucial, especially when you look at the judiciary, that we protect life. And this president is someone who's done it. I hear him talk passionately about it, and I've seen him do it, seen him do it in practice. Kaylee, so good to see you. A lot of our audience may not know this, but uh, you used to work on the show I hosted on the Fox News Channel, and that's where I first uh, became aware of just how brilliant you are, and I'm just so proud of you and delighted to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Governor. A big thank you to Kaylee McEnany, White House Press Secretary. You can follow her on social media at a familiar handle, at PressSec. Now, if you'd like more of my analysis of the news, join me on Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. We're going to be talking about the subpoenas and suspicious flying around Washington because the Mueller team erased all their cell phone data. We're also going to talk about how former Secretary of State John Kerry got the Middle East and the potential for peace so very wrong. We'll see you on Huckabee.tv after the show. Okay, Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell us what's going on tonight? Well, tonight, former WWE wrestler Glenn Jacobs becomes a mayor and magician Zach Mears amazes. Later, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard takes on child exploitation in the media and country's Earlene Mandrell is here on Huckabee. Singer Sarah Evans was born to fly, and the legendary Pat Boone joins us. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, Trey Corley, what on earth are you wearing? 
What in the world is that? It's a surprise. I mean, I, I see you got a WWE wrestling belt, and you clearly have a wig on because you haven't had that much hair since maybe you were born. I don't know. That hurts. I, I'm just telling you like it is, pal. So what is the getup all fan. about? I'm a fan, and if honestly, if he knew some of the great ideas I have, he would have probably even been greater. So I, I'm so <laughs> sure that's right. Here's the deal. My next guest does, in fact, come from a world-famous, uh, well, it's, it's, let's say, a world that is famous for things like low blows, fighting dirty, and ignoring all the rules. But before he went into politics, <laughs> he really was a professional wrestler, unlike Trey, who is a poser and not even a very good one at that. I want you to please welcome the great WWE superstar, Kane, or as we know him around here, Knox County, Tennessee Mayor, Glenn Jacobs. Yeah. Trey, look at this guy. I want you to look at his size. You don't want to mess with him. No, you do not want to mess not. with him. You know, it, it's uh, great to have you here, Mayor. We're thrilled. Uh, Quite a story. You go from the ring of <laughs> WWE yeah. wrestling, ending up being the mayor of uh, Knox County, Tennessee. So how does that arc happen? <laughs> I'd always been interested in government po and politics, uh -huh. um, especially when I uh, started getting a paycheck and, and realized that, wow, they take taxes out of this, and eventually <laughs> I have to pay taxes. And it was one of those things where I, I literally woke up one day and I thought that I could have an opportunity. Uh, my predecessor is now U.S. Congressman Tim Burchett. He was term limited, so it was an open seat. As you know, it's very difficult to beat an incumbent, and if you're gonna yeah. try, you really have to, to go for an open seat. It was my first campaign. I was very fortunate and blessed to have good people around me running the campaign and helping me, and I was either blessed or, in some days, I feel I was a little cursed to win and become mayor. The challenge of, of being in government now is that People have so many expectations that the government is going to do something for right. them. You know, I remember the words of John F. Kennedy. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I don't hear that anymore. What happened to us? Right. That's absolutely true. And I think it's just this shift that uh, government in some ways has just become this thing that can do all these things and give things to everybody. and. Uh, that's unfortunate, not only from a fiscal conservative standpoint, which is what I am, but also from a dependency standpoint. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I really think that that attitude has put a cap on and people and folks are satisfied with mediocrity instead of being, uh, being encouraged to become the very best that they can be. It's like, well, you know, I, I can get this stuff and the government's gonna give this to me and that's okay. And I think that's really uh, diminished our ability as a country uh, and individuals to really achieve great things within their own lives and also all of us together. You, uh, you were part of a rather controversial uh, move this summer when uh, the county voted to mandate masks. And uh, as I recall, the vote was like seven to one. You were the only one who said, yes. no, we're not gonna mandate it. It's something right. people do voluntarily. Well, what was your thinking 
different than the other members of the commission? Sure, it actually wasn't commission. And this is where things, with this whole COVID deal, this is where things uh, have really gone off the rails. Um, we have a board of health and under the Tennessee state constitution, the board of health actually makes those decisions. Uh -huh. now, I sit on the board, but I'm the only elected official. Uh -huh. And of course the people on the board of health look at things, they're doctors, and they look at things from a purely public health perspective. Sure. And I understand that. Right. And if, if I were a doctor, I would be saying the same things. But of course, I have to look at things from this much bigger pie. Um, and constitution, civil liberties, and all those things. And I just don't feel that it's government's job to say that you have to do that. Uh, we can encourage it. We can say it's a best practice. You really should do that. You know, businesses on their own can say, hey, you can't come in here if you aren't wearing a mask. As county mayor, I can say you have to wear a mask in county buildings. Sure. But as far as forcing private individuals and businesses to do that, I didn't feel as appropriate, even if it was something that was probably a good idea to do. Glenn, final question for you. Was there something out of the wrestling world that you were a part of that you learned that helped you in politics? I think the most important thing is it, it's really your people skills and your ability to relate to people. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the most important thing throughout your life. And I did learn that in wrestling, even though a lot of times in, in, in the ring I'm beating people up, but still I have to get along <laughs> with them backstage so I can convince them to get beat up. <laughs> and that, that's, that's the most important thing. And realizing that politics is not, even though government uh, is its own thing, that politics is something that we deal in every day of our lives because it's really just our ability to get along with other people and in many cases to persuade them to see that our way is the right way. I'm always uh, grateful that people are willing to go and put their name on the ballot. Uh, more people, I wish, would do that. It would make our country better. And I'm grateful that you did it. And, uh, you know, I'm very, very happy to have you here. Thank you for coming Thank to be you. with us. It's Appreciate been a pleasure. It. I'm going to go see Train now, right? Uh, I, yeah, right after we go to this break, <laughs> I want you to go over and beat the stuffing out of that young man. It's about time somebody takes him on. In the meantime, Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell us where we can keep up with the latest news for Mayor Glenn Jacob and find out if our audience doesn't do the right thing. Just tell him. He'll put him in a headlock. He'll do it right here. I think It'll he will. be done. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, Governor, just go to Twitter and follow at Glenn Jacobs TN. And be sure to visit Amazon or your favorite bookseller to pick up a copy of his autobiography, Mayor Kane, My Life in Wrestling and Politics. Tonight, magician Zach Mears and author Michael Brown. Tulsi Gabbard takes on Netflix. Plus, music artist Earlene Mandrell joins us on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Why don't we give Trey Corley and the Music City Connection a big hand of applause because he almost got a real fist to the face. There you go. Thank you. He's still with us, so the mayor didn't punch him out. Hey, Zach Mears entertains audiences all over the world. Uh, he has been on things like Travel Channel's Magic Caught on Camera, and this is pretty cool. He was a magic advisor on David Blaine's latest special. Zach's dad is from Iran, his mom from Afghanistan. Uh, Zach, however, was made in America. All How right. about that? And tonight, he is here to astound us all. I want you to welcome the amazing Zach 
Mears. Yeah. Let's hear it. Welcome. Thank you so much. You know, I love magic. I love magicians. Yes. We are happy you're here. Absolutely. Thank okay. you for having me. So show me something. All right. So my first trick was getting this Ooh. Oh. past your security. <laughs> Obviously, you did it. Yeah. It's a real knife, Governor. Yeah, it's a real knife. That was a real table that we... <laughs> Somebody's got to pay for that right there, I tell you. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's the thing. Okay. The idea of a magician governor is to make you believe that something is real, uh -huh. but it's not really hmm. happening. Can I show you what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Please All right, do. Governor. So okay. I've got a deck of cards right over here. The idea is I'll take this knife and it'll go all the way through the deck of cards just like that. Now, Governor, it's happening, uh -huh. but it's not really happening. And I'll show you why. Governor, do you mind holding on to the handle right here? To the handle of the knife? Yep, okay. you got that? Fantastic. Yeah. So here's why it's not happening, because the cards are never inside of the box. The cards are in my pocket. Ah. And if the cards are in my pocket, that begs the question, Governor, what's inside of the... Uh, the box. The box, thank you. Uh, I'll go ahead and take that knife from you, okay. see? I'll take the knife completely out. Uh -huh. And Governor... Can you cup your hand over the uh, table? Sure, because if like I that. open what's inside, okay. it is a solid block uh -uh. of half inch. Oh, it's, oh gosh, this thing steel. is heavy. That's real. That is, that really is solid. Wow, it looks like a plate that was out of Keith's head. I think that maybe. Now, how did you do that? Of course, you're not going to tell me. It's, uh, it's magic. magic. Thank you. That's magic. There you go. <laughs> Maybe you wow. need to get beat up. Man. Wow. Absolutely. There you go. Okay. And you could keep that. That's for you. That's that is pretty box. cool. I, I may Absolutely. throw that at somebody when they don't laugh when I want know. them to. Okay. It's paperweight. You going to show me something else? Absolutely. Okay. Um, well, this next thing, Governor, it's a uh, it's more of a skill trick than anything else. So, mm. Governor, I've got a deck of cards right over here. You can see that they're all different. Do you see that? Yes? Yeah. All right. I'm going to drop cards from one hand to another. Wherever you say stop, Governor, you're essentially going to memorize that card. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. All right. Go ahead and just tell me when to stop. stop. Do you want to keep going more or less? Or are you happy with this one? I'm real happy with that one. All right. Go I ahead. I love and that card. <laughs> memorize that card. You got it? I got it. I'll show it to the audience as well. No. Nah. Okay. All right, here we go. Here's right. part of the skill, Governor. Okay. Your card is the 17th, actually the 14th card. The 14th card. In that deck of cards. You want me to count them out? Hold or your applause. Hold your applause. However. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. However, yeah. I thought we could find it in the most interesting way I know how. Let's get this out of the way. We're going to try stabbing to the 14th card. In uh, no, deck, we're not. Right? No, we're not. Here we go. One. Actually, hold on. Okay. Um, here's yeah, you missed the cards the there, Zach. Um, if I were to do it, uh -huh. that would be okay. But this isn't the Zach Muir show. This is the tonight. It is Mike yeah. Huckabee show. But yeah. Mike Huckabee, <laughs> Governor, if you were to do this, uh -huh. then that would be amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, Governor, I'm going to teach you how to do this. Go okay. ahead and take that knife. Okay. And uh, this is what you're going to do. It's the 14th card in that deck, so it's going to be about right over here. Okay. So you're not going to stab super hard. Okay. But not soft. Just uh, moderately. Medium amount, okay. medium amount, okay? If yeah. you want to, you could go ahead and stab on this table. You're gonna stab, hold, and pick up, just for practice. Stab, hold, pick up. 
Okay. Okay, first of all, that's on you, so we're gonna split the bill on <laughs> this. Um, I've been sucker and, punched, is what I've been. Yeah. Second thing, uh, that's like 13 and a half cards. That's perfect. So what you're going to do is you're going to stab, you're going to hold, and you're going to pick up. So I'm going to stand right behind you. It's going to be right up there. So you're going to stab, Governor. You're going to go ahead and stab. Oh, hold, pick up. Okay, that's okay. good, that's good, that's good. Right over there. That's good. I'll take that. I'll go ahead and take that. Okay. You're scaring me. And, um, <laughs> scaring me. Uh, here's the idea. This okay. is what you stab to. Let's see how you did, okay? We got one. Okay. That's a good start. Two. Three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and you stab to the fourteenth card, Governor. I'm pretty darn good at this, just so you know. <laughs> All right, Can Governor. I... Before you turn it around, oh, okay. what was the name of your card? It was the Three of Hearts. The Three of Hearts. Three of Hearts. Drum roll, please. Go ahead and turn that around. It is. Oh my gosh, it is the three of hearts. That is great. That, that is crazy. I don't know how in the world, other great than the job. fact that I'm pretty good with a knife, I think yeah, that has a lot to do absolutely. with it. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you're traveling out there, do you find that people come up and say, okay, come on, how'd you do that? Everybody <laughs> wants to know, don't they? Yeah, it's, it's, sometimes it's better not knowing because you want to... You just uh, want awe and wonder back in the world, you know? So, yeah. Well, I'm gonna ask you backstage after the show. How did you do that? Okay, I know he's not gonna tell me. He's not gonna tell me. But part of having him back is so that I can try to figure it out. But it's just fantastic magic. Honored and thrilled to have you here, Zach. What a great job. All right, Thank Keith you. Bilbrey, why don't you tell us where we can see more of the amazing Zach Mears? Well, I'll tell you, to see more astonishing magic or to check out Zach's tour schedule, merchandise, and more, visit MearsTour.com and follow him on social media at Zach Mears. Next, Congressman Tulsi Gabbard battles for the innocence of young girls. Then author Michael Brown puts you to the Trump test. Plus, early Mandrell is here on Huckabee. I hope you'll join Franklin Graham and many fellow Christians September the 26th at noon in Washington, D.C. for the prayer march. Hopefully, you can join thousands who are going to be attending in person, but you can also be a part of the event online, hosted by Sissy Graham Lynch and me. Now, this is a chance to pray for all of our leaders, no matter their party, and for the condition of our nation and culture. You can get all of the details at prayermarch2020.com. I hope you'll be there. I will be. And we'd love to have you walk and pray as we make this prayer march in Washington, D.C. Well, a new Netflix film sparked all the wrong kinds of attention recently, leading to some mass cancellations of the streaming service and even calls for the company and the filmmakers to be investigated for child exploitation. My next guest is a Democrat member of Congress who says the film could fuel the child sex trafficking trade and that Netflix is complicit. Here's my conversation with Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Congresswoman, great to have you back on the show. You were maybe the only um, high-profile Democrat that I can think of that very quickly pushed back on Netflix's presentation of Cuties 
which many have said is about as close to child pornography as one can get. What offended you about what it portrayed? Uh, it was the sexualization and dehumanizing uh, of our kids. You know, this film uh, will only further fuel the flames that, uh, of the problems that we're dealing with with regards to child pornography, pornography with regards to uh, child prostitution and sex trafficking. Uh, you know, one in every four people who are victims of trafficking uh, are kids. And this has been a major issue that I've focused on here in Congress to try to pass legislation to solve some of these problems that are causing such great suffering and trauma for our kids and their families. You tweeted about a very personal issue that one of your friends has a 13-year-old daughter uh, who was a victim of, of child trafficking. So uh, that must have impacted the passion that you have for this. It, it certainly has. You know, what I've found over the years that I've been working on this issue is oftentimes people, uh, especially people who are in influential positions, will kind of brush this issue off as though it's someone else's problem or it's happening somewhere else, when in fact, uh, unfortunately, this is a prevalent issue all across our country. And that was what I experienced in Hawaii, where uh, my friend, uh, I deployed with her to the Middle East. Uh, she's a soldier. And the trauma that she and her daughter and their family went through where her daughter went missing for mm. several months. And she didn't know where to begin to look to start finding her. And she dedicated her entire being into finding her 13-year-old th daughter, uh, you know, going out and doing surveillance herself, following up on leads, really dedicating herself to to finding her child. And when she found her, she had been uh, a victim uh, who was being abused uh, by a sex trafficker. And, you know, I spent some time with her and her daughter after she was rescued. And, you know, you could tell that, that this young girl was no longer just a young, innocent girl. Netflix has pushed back. They've been very defensive of, uh, of this, but I found it interesting uh, you were the first Democrat that I know that spoke out very boldly, but others have now joined, including, uh, and I think most interestingly, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, who herself is a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. And she now has said that Netflix needs to pull this, apologize, and basically do some penance for this. To Netflix, I would challenge them that if they actually care about this issue of our children being sexualized, leading to all of these different kinds of abuses, then I challenge them to work with me and with others who really do care about this issue. Use this incredible reach and platform that Netflix has to start this conversation, do a real expose about what's happening in our society and the roles that Hollywood and the Madison Avenue advertisers uh, have to do with it, how they're contributing to this, which is not only a dehumanization of our children, but it's something that's dehumanizing uh, all of us. I have to tell you on a personal level, I was very disappointed. Uh, frankly, I, I thought it was wrong that the Democratic National Committee did not put you on their platform. You came in third in the sense that the only person between you and Joe Biden was Bernie Sanders. You were the last to Bernie Sanders to be on that stage. It would seem that you had earned your place 
And it may be a, a sensitive topic, and I'm not asking you to diss on the party, but why didn't they ask you to deliver a speech during the DNC? Uh, that's a question only they can answer. My focus has always and continues to be on the people of our country, on the strength and integrity of our democracy. And I think there are serious problems within our political system when voters are unable to get the kind of information about every candidate running for president uh, that they deserve to make that best informed decision. Uh, you know, our, our democracy is built on, on people's faith that it will work for them, that their voices uh, will be heard. And, and there's a lot of work to do uh, in that direction to uphold that integrity. Uh, if you're ever going to be nice in the Nashville area, please come and uh, join us in studio. You're always welcome. We truly enjoy having I'd you. Like Thank that. you very much. Thank you very much. Aloha. Our thanks to Tulsi Gabbard for joining us. Now Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you how you can keep up with Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Well, you can follow the Congresswoman on social media at Tulsi Gabbard as well as at Tulsi Press. Next, Michael Brown administers the Trump test. Then country music star Earlene Mandrell joins us on Huckabee. And welcome back. Hey, some ask, how can evangelicals support Donald Trump? Others say, considering the alternative, how can they not? Well, this hot debate is the subject of this new book. It's called Evangelicals at the Crossroads. Will we pass the Trump test? Would you welcome the author of the book and talk show host, Dr. Michael Brown. Michael, great to have you here. Great to be with you. Thanks. I think the most fascinating part of your story, and, and I think you're maybe the most brilliant writer alive that is just putting out some of the best material. I see it on the stream, uh, and then books like this, you've written 40 books. But in this particular book, you're talking about something that is a point of contention and confusion. Yeah. Evangelicals were, without a doubt, responsible for the election of Donald Trump in 2016. Had they not voted uh, as much as they did for him, he would never have been elected. And the question is, will they do it again? So what do you think? Will they? Yeah, I, I believe they will. I believe the support is even stronger now than it was. But he's the most unlikely candidate. I mean, I opposed him in the primaries. You were on my yeah. list of people. Yeah. I, I wrote against him. I warned. I said, if it's him versus Hillary, we'll reevaluate. Yeah. But I thought he's going to throw evangelicals under the bus once he's in. He can't be trusted. Look at his past. We're the ones saying character counts. Yeah. Morality matters. So he's yeah. married three times. He boasts about his Playboy stuff, you know, casino, strip club, all this. The, the last guy we'd want to elect, he's never going to keep his promises. He gets elected, and arguably, he's done more for evangelical causes than any, any president we've had. You know, he for, really has. I mean, pro-life, no president has done more. Pro-life. Israel? Israel, I mean, amazing with, yeah. with Israel now, the peace treaties, uh, religious liberties, fighting for that, yeah. fighting against radical trans activism. Uh, so many things he's done, standing up to Islamic terrorism, standing up to, the, uh, to China, the tyranny of China, all that. He's done so much for evangelical causes. And yet, 
our association with him has hurt the evangelical cause. <laughs> he gives a great inspirational speech on Mount Rushmore, a great civil rights speech. Yeah. And then next minute he's tweeting about Bubba Wallace. It's like, <laughs> why are you doing this? He, he can be juvenile, he can be petty, he can be thin-skinned. He's calling this one a dog, he's throwing this one under the bus. And he's our man. So <laughs> it's, it's, it is a paradox, isn't it? So what we have to do is proclaim to the world, Jesus died for our sins. He gets our life, our heart, our soul. Jesus is our savior. Trump gets our vote. We vote for mm. president to do certain things. He's not our savior. And, and if, we could, if we could have our testimony be, this is who we are. This is how we live before this world. Watch, watch us. And then, hey, here's why we voted for Trump. When it comes to the slaughter of the unborn, we think he's going to do a better job. Yeah. When it comes to protecting our fundamental liberties, we think he's going to do a better job. When it comes to standing against tyranny worldwide, we think he'll do a better job. So we don't like this, this, this. I wish he wouldn't say this, this. But that's who is. We got a human bulldozer, basically. <laughs> he does a lot of good, and there's a lot of collateral damage. Yeah. And when we weigh out the options, when it was him versus Hillary, yeah. when it was him versus now the, the Democrat agenda, which has gotten so radical left, I basically look at it as Trump versus mobocracy. Trump versus the cancel culture. So hmm. he'll get my vote. But at best, four years of Donald Trump is not going to save America. Yeah. Four years more of Donald Trump is a wedge in the door before it collapses so the church can wake up and get about doing what we're called to do because that's the only hope of the nation. I think you are 100% right. You know, I've, I've known too many people that thought that if we just elect this person or that, that they will fix all the problems. But if the problems are basically spiritual, it's not the politicians who are going to fix that. It really is going to be that there is a renewal among people of faith who apply biblical principles. And, and that's really, I think, the heart of your book is that evangelicals are not voting for Donald Trump because they say, oh, he is one of us. I've told, I, I told him to his face, to his face in front of 1,200 people. I said, this was when he was candidate Trump. I said, Mr. Uh, Trump, I'm not sure you could find John 3.16 in a marked New Testament. Yep. And, and he laughed because he knew he couldn't. Exactly. Uh, that's just exactly. the fact. But you, you talk about the fact that this is not about electing him as our spiritual leader, but as a government leader to do things that maybe he's the only one that's got the guts to go out there and do, despite the tweets and some things that make people uncomfortable. Here's what we have to do. We have to be willing to call balls and strikes. We don't need to defend him. My, my, I don't preach Trump, I preach Jesus. Mm. My, my whole goal is not to be an apologist to the president. I will justify my vote. I will explain why I'm voting for him. And to me, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's an easy thing to do to say why I'm voting for him. And then I will say, but character does count. Morality does matter. I've never departed from that. So his character flaws hurt him, hurt us. I, I think in a, in a sense, the whole nation's been a little degraded. We've kind of gone crazy. You know, there was the identity politics under yeah. President Obama. And now the, the salt and the wounds with Donald Trump, <laughs> it's even more extreme. But we don't have to play along with that. We can say he gets my vote. Look, as a politician, what do you want? You want my vote. You have my vote, you have my prayers to do what you're doing, and then I've got to go about doing the work of the gospel. You know, I hope 80 million evangelicals in this country hear what you just said. You've said it better than anyone I've heard, and that's one of the reasons I love your voice. I love to read the things that you do, and this book is one more reason that it's easy to appreciate uh, how you've come, and thank goodness you did, from LSD to PhD, and we are grateful for that. Uh, Michael Brown, thank you for coming, and please come back and visit us again. I love your message. Thank you. My Great joy. to have you here. Michael Brown, and this is the book, Evangelicals at the Crossroads, Will We Pass the Trump Test?
Keith Bilbrey, why don't you tell our viewers where they can get their copies of this very important new book before they cast their votes. Well, Evangelicals at the Crossroads is available now at Amazon and other booksellers. You can also find it along with all of Dr. Brown's other books, videos, news, and more at AskDrBrown.org. Also on Facebook, follow Ask Dr. Brown. And on Twitter, follow at Dr. Michael L. Brown. Author, model, and television star, the multi-talented Early Mandrell is coming up next on Huckabee. Earlene Mandrell is the youngest of the world-famous Mandrell sisters. From cover girl model to a hit variety show to a beloved cast member of Hee Haw, Earlene is a world-class entertainer. She's also a believer in everyday miracles because she's experienced them firsthand. I want you to make welcome a wonderful person, one of our favorites. Would you please give a big hand to Earlene Mandrell? Thank you. It's great having you here. Thank you. Well, you know, my family, and especially me, we're such big fans of yours. Thank you. That it's... means a lot. I'm a big fan of the Mandrells long before you ever knew who I was. I know that. <laughs> well, you worked with Louise a long time ago, you know, and I was kind of jealous, and then I got to do your Christmas show, and then she was on, so it's my turn. What is it about us that we just don't want to accept the supernatural and the intervention of God in our lives? I think that I've been to church all my life. I, my, both, I had two uncles that were preachers and I knew about the Holy Spirit and all that was wonderful, but I don't think that I was really raised or even gone to churches that make you believe in the miracles and the healing, you know, and, and, in, and that God wants us to prosper, you know, and to accept it. And I don't know that that many churches really say, Stay in faith. Hmm. It's true. It will be true as long as you stay in faith. It's already happened. So, um, you know, I, I recently, in the miracles and the studying and interviewing, interviewing people and stuff like that, huh? I am so excited about it because the more you put out there, the more you get back. The more you, the, if you share a miracle with someone, they usually share one back. I got to tell you, Earlene, you disappointed me when you were with us the last time on one thing. I loved having you here. And you told some great stories, but you did not do music. So do not break my heart. Tonight, you're going to do some music with us, aren't you? Thank you. And I'm excited to do some songs I want to do because I'm doing a uh, song. Now, I always sing songs that make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> I do fun songs, too. But songs that I'm lucky to get to do songs that are emotional for me, that they really mean something to my heart. Beautiful songs. And we are so glad you're here. This book, God Reigns Miracles, a great story uh, of miracles that happen to everyday people like you. Well, in a moment, Erlene is going to perform. But first, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell everyone how to learn more about Erlene and her music and her writings. Keith? Well, my pleasure, Governor. For Erlene's book, God Reigns Miracles and her music, go to ErleneMandrell.com. And after the show, visit Huckabee.tv for an encore performance by Earlene of her song, We Will Stand. Now, here to sing with Trey Corley of the Music City Connection with Mike on bass is Earlene Mandrell. 